Good morning, everyone. And welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast, broadcasting live from Wheat Ridge, Colorado, the home of the champions. We have a very special episode today. It's Movie Monday, and we're going to discuss the 2020 Academy Award-nominated documentary feature, Crip Camp. How are you this morning? I'm doing fine. How are you this morning, David, in this nice, rainy uh, Denver morning? It's nice and fresh outside. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. My wrist hurts again, so I don't know oh, no. uh, how well I'll be able to run the show here, because... I won't have my hand on the mouse the whole time because it hurts to use the mouse. So we'll just have to talk. We'll have to talk more. Yeah, we'll have to talk more. Listen <laughs> less. Uh, yeah, I can kill the music, and we can get into the discussion of this movie, which you really enjoyed. Did you not? I did. I really enjoyed this a lot. I I I was hoping this would win. Uh, it didn't win documentary and it can be awards, but I thought it was the best. The one of the ones I saw. Yeah, uh, we only missed out on two, I believe, but um, it was very good, and it was the most traditional documentary. I think we talked about this a little bit. It's going to be sort of repeating myself from Friday when we talked about the Oscars because we got into this category, but um, this was a documentary that sort of wove talking head interview sections with archival footage, historical sources. Uh, historical news reports with uh, footage from the camp, and and it told a whole story over the course of decades. And, you know, a lot of the other documentaries didn't do that. That's right. And so I thought that they really sort of went in and made a traditional documentary, and they told a very fascinating and important story. I think all of that uh, served to be one of the best documentaries I've seen in a long time. It was best because it really impacted me. I thought, oh, man. Because, you know, uh, uh, back when I started teaching, uh, I think the first time I walked into a classroom uh, was back in the 70s, 75, 76. And it was all about the material. You know, did I say this right? Did I say this right? And then I went away. As you know, I went into uh, uh, research and then I went to industry. Then I came back to teaching because that's basically what I love. And I noticed that all through my, when I was doing government research, when I was doing uh, a business, uh, I kept telling people what I was doing and telling people what I was doing. And I liked telling people and teaching. I came back to education in the mid 80s and I've been there ever since. And as I taught over the years, decade after decade after decade, I, I realized that it's not so much the material and, and teaching is not what you teach. Teaching is what's being learned, and it's what the impact it has on the students and people hearing what you're saying. And, and the more I learned that and the more I did that, the more I realized that the power of teaching is, is not in the material. It's empowering the people to be whoever they are. And it's, it is unleashing the, the, the inner potential of a person. And if you really see that, then you're a real teacher. And that's exactly what I saw in this documentary, how these people had had so much potential inside them that that was that was not recognized. And and Jeanette, the uh, Camp Jeanette uh, opened it up It let it let their inner potential and their intelligence and their humor and their personality all of a sudden you begin to see it and it's it's the crimp cap it was a movie of human potential unleashing the human potential is what that was anyway that that was my to start this uh, podcast i want to start i just want to say that that it's not just about disabilities uh i don't see that i see it as about the 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 human potential of these people that have been ignored and once we see that uh, it's just an explosion. And I think that's what happened from the 70s, 80s, 90s for the past uh, 40 years. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that one of the most harsh scenes is when they showed Geraldo Rivera, who sort of has become a bit of a kook, but he was reporting from an institution where they put the mentally disabled, and it was a horror scene. I mean, you couldn't imagine. I've seen horror movies that aren't as horrifying as that report that he filed. Um and it's crazy to think that 
you know, this is late 60s, early 70s. They were at Camp Jeanette. But that wasn't very long ago. And institutions where people are just covered in feces and there's one nurse to 50 kids that need a lot. They need hours and hours of attention a day. Uh, People thought, oh, that's fine. You know, we put them in a place they're taken care of and they're... There's no verification of that fact, and the place becomes just sort of a monstrous testament to human neglect. And not to sort of rail on the people that chose to work there, I'm sure that it was very difficult, but they they didn't have enough resources. But also, no. at I, if I went there on my first day, it would be tough not to quit. Uh, so, I mean, kudos to the people, I guess, that work there, but... It would also be the type of thing where it's like more resources need to be diverted here because this is not acceptable. And that was the darkest side of what could happen, you know. What was the name of that place? Willowbrook. Willowbrook, yes. So you could Google Willowbrook and see. It was. It's a nightmare. Uh, and it, and it to me, I don't. They 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 just looked at the conditions there. But the more I thought of it, it was institutionalizing uh, uh, people with uh, mental disabilities. And the the thing of it is, is that uh, they had three minutes. They had so many, so many uh, uh, people to feed. They couldn't feed themselves, and so the people working there had three minutes to feed each person, and they had to feed them quickly and. There was disease. Uh, they just couldn't take care of them. It was overwhelming. And to me, it was the system that let that happen. Mm-hmm. How can how can we stand by and let that? You can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, anyway. Well, I think they established Willowbrook as the ultimate negative. And then they established these disabled kids who wouldn't have ended up in Willowbrook. Maybe, I mean... Most of them wouldn't have because they were just people that had polio and CP. They weren't mentally disabled with severe Down syndrome or whatever. Um, but but Willowbrook was a shocking reminder of when these kids were going to Camp Jeanette, places like Willowbrook still existed. Now, most the majority of these kids wouldn't have been Willowbrook kids. But the Willowbrook was the extreme bad. The lives they lived at their homes the way that society treated the disabled, that was the middle ground. And that wasn't that great. And then when they got to Jeanette, that was the opening your eyes and realizing we're people, we have value, we can form a community, we can advocate for ourselves. We can. So I think that the Crip Camp was the linchpin of Crip Camp their term, Camp Jeanette. <laughs> you know, Camp Jeanette, and, yeah. and I think that calling it Crip Camp is interesting, too, because it's like you feel a little bit like, oh, is that okay to call it that? But that's the name of the movie. But Camp Jeanette was the other end of Willowbrook, and I think that's the distinction they were trying to draw. When everyone had attention, everyone was accepted as a member of the community, and that's one of the main characters was, uh, what's her face, Judy Human, the girl with the glasses? Yes, and yes, she, Judy. She was a camper, and then she became a counselor, and she had this great monologue at the beginning where she's talking about how she was in public school with Nancy Rosenblum and some others, and she couldn't go to her public school. There was only one public school in the New York area, and they sent all the disabled kids there, and they had to take classes in the basement. She's like, I realized from early on I was being sidelined. And so when I got to Jeanette as a camper and then subsequently as a counselor, my thing was to include everyone, make sure everyone had a voice. And that was resonated throughout the movie, right? Exactly, exactly. Nance, uh, uh, Judy was a powerhouse. She oh, was. And, uh, she still is. I mean, if you didn't... If you didn't if you weren't moved by hearing her talk, uh, something wrong, because she she was a powerhouse. And again, it, you know, a lot of these people, even I think it was Denise. Uh, we're going to be using a lot of names, and and uh, I don't think we need I don't think we need to de- to to define them or describe them. I, if our listeners wants to hear this, they can listen to Cat. They should listen to it. It's an hour and forty six minutes. It's uh, they should listen to it on their own, uh, and because uh, it's that's the other thing too. 
so many things to say in this podcast. You can look at this, get on YouTube and look at it. No, it's on Netflix. Well, you can look it on YouTube. You can. Oh, should I Google. play? The, should I play the trailer? Sure, let's play the trailer before oh. we get into the details. Sure. Okay. Um, I mean, you can't watch the movie on YouTube. You have to have a no. Netflix subscription. Exactly. Exactly. Um, what I meant, what I meant was, you can watch it on the internet. <laughs> yes. You can watch. Yeah. I mean, you should watch it. Get it, and just you really should watch this. This. There's a bunch of them. All right. And there, the next one is the actual full-length feature. Oh, wow. They did put it on and YouTube. They did, and I and I was watching it. Oh, wow. So you're right. You don't need a Netflix subscription. No. But if you had one, you could. Yeah. So you can find it on YouTube. You were right. I was wrong. Um, take a look at this. Yes. What, you want me to tell them what happened? Well, two people got cramps and they're spreading. We were all very hyper about it. And I have to go shower some people. I'll see you later. I wanted to be part of the world, but I didn't see anyone like me in it. I hear about a summer camp for the handicapped run by hippies. Somebody said, you probably will smoke dope with the counselors. And I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> Have to catch an edit and find yourself. There I was. I was at Woodstock. You wouldn't be picked to be on the team back home, but at Jeanette, you had to go up to bat. Even when we were that young, we helped empower each other. It was allowing us to recognize that the status quo is not what it needed to be. The world always wants us dead. We live with that reality. At the time, so many kids just like me were being sent to institutions. It was just a continual struggle. Most disabled people, like myself, are unable to use public transportation. We needed a civil rights law of our own. A rehabilitation program has been vetoed by the president because it was cost prohibitive. We decided we were going to have a demonstration. You get the call to action. To the barricades. A small army of the handicapped have occupied this building for the past 11 days. So many people from Camp Jeanette found their way into the building. The FBI cut off the phones. The deaf people went, we know what to do. That's how we communicated to the people outside the building. The Black Panther Party would bring a hot meal. We were like this. We are the strongest political force in this country. We will no longer allow the government to oppress disabled individuals. And I would appreciate it if you would stop shaking your head in agreement when I don't think you understand what we are talking about. What we saw at that camp was that our lives could be better. If you don't demand what you believe in for yourself, you're not going to get it. I said you like to see um, the handicapped people depicted as people. Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> So there was the trailer. I uh, thought that was a very good sort of summation of the movie. Steven said, Steven said, he had CP. Mm -hmm. And so I could say it clearer than he could, but he, not as powerful. He said, if you're handicapped and you have a passive nature, then you're screwed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And Stephen did not have a passive nature. Judy did not have a passive nature. I mean, the people at Jeanette said, we're going to make a change. And they mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. It was it was awesome. It was pretty. It was a good movie. It was a uh, it was a lesson in uh, the power of humans coming together and making good happen. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I, I thought it was going to win. I was shocked when it didn't win. And we talked about this a little on Friday, but this was sort of the power of humans coming together, the power of making positive change in the world, the power of empowering the people who have been told to not be empowered, um, fighting for your rights and achieving something that people thought was po impossible. And the one that won was just some guy playing touch butt in the water with an octopus. Yeah. You know? And 
and that was a good movie in its own right. That's fine. But uh, I, I tell you, it had minuscule impact on me compared to Crip Camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's not that much. You can t- I guess it's like, look for beauty in nature. That was the o- octopus. I don't know. I don't know exactly <laughs> what you're supposed to get out of it. But um... <laughs> the, it, the octopus teacher, we saw that one, too. And mm-hmm. we might even review that. Uh, we but did. It. It we did good. review it. Oh, did we? Yeah, it, it was fine. It was really good. It was the octopus uh, uh, was a uh, it wasn't actually it was the octopus is misunderstood. I think one thing I got out of that the octopus teacher, it was misunderstood. OK, and it lives in the ocean and it's an octopus. But the same message is with Crip Camp. <laughs> yeah. Disabled and are... people are misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of them and they're living with us. And the contribution they can give us on a daily basis is is immeasurable if we would just open our eyes and open our hearts and uh, and uh, and uh, we need each other we need each other also uh you know barack and michelle obama were the executive producers that was one of the things in the trailer it sort of shows how it is kind of democratic in a way richard nixon vetoed section 504 because it was cost prohibitive and it's easy to say that it's easy to say Oh, that's too expensive. We can't do that. Oh, child poverty. You know, a new plan will cut it in half, but it's too expensive. And the thing is, what if you did it and then you cut child poverty in half? What benefit would would come from that? You know, you could either say it's too expensive or you can do it. And then when 50% of children who would have been in poverty are out of poverty for their childhood... What benefit will that have in the long term on society? <laughs> will they become more productive members of society? Will they increase the bottom line of a nation and sort of, you know, pay off those debts that you went into to sort of pull them out of poverty? It's the same thing with this movie. It sort of shows traditional ideology, thought. It's not it's too expensive to have an Americans with Disability Act. It's too expensive to put wheelchair ramps in every federal building. But they did it. And you know what? The government's still a running. It didn't bankrupt the government <laughs> to do it. So well, like Jim, like Jim, Jim was talking. He says like he came. I think it was New York City. Came to her. He says I want to come to this demonstration, and it was New York City. And he says I rode there, and I couldn't. There was no ramps. There's no way for me to go. He says, but like Stephen said. You can't be passive about this. You got to you got to do it yourself. No mm-hmm. one's going to help you do this. So he said, "I uh, I got out of my wheelchair because he couldn't walk, and I crawled step by step with and, and dragging my wheelchair up those steps. Mm-hmm. I got back in and I and I made it. Yeah, and that's the determination that uh, that this uh, movie uh, shows mm-hmm. is really impactful." is is excellent now what a go ahead i i they they fought for their rights and they got it and i think a lot of the reason why is i mean they were strong and they were determined but i also feel like if that had been um a group of black people ages 18 to 30 that took over a federal building, they would have been tear gassed out and all thrown in jail. Um, I think that the fact that the authorities don't see disabled people as a threat makes it harder to sort of crack down on them because it'll, the optics of it is worse. So I think that it's, e- I don't want to discount anything they did, but I do think that it may be easier for a group of people who are disabled to fight for disabled people's rights than it may be for a group that the traditional authorities perceive as a threat, like the Black Panthers, you know, young black men between the ages of 18 and 30 taking over a federal building. Well, that wouldn't stand. Now, disabled people were able to do it for weeks, you know. So it's the perceived threat. So they did have somewhat of an advantage. Um, They did. They did. But, But they came together. I think the advantage is that they came together and did it as a group. And, and if you separate, go ahead. Oh, and the Black Panthers helped them. They saw in the trailer. They did. 
And they were shocked. It's like, why are you helping us? It's like, you know, you're fighting against inequality. That's what we're doing. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna get you hot meals. We're gonna use our kitchens to feed you while you're doing your sit-in because we believe in what you're doing. And that's powerful too. They were able yeah. to see, you know, sometimes the fight for disabled rights or black rights, it's it's very much the same thing. It's civil rights. You want equal equality under the law. And the Black Panthers were able to see that. Yeah. Well, there's there are some things that were were very enlightening in the movie too. Uh, it was a documentary. Uh, there were some political aspects. They started with Camp Jened, and then from that, about halfway through, then they moved to the political movement, you know, and then it ended with uh, t- the modern day looking back. Uh, but there were some impactful scenes that that I thought I thought was just was uh, was awesome. Um, that uh, where they they understood each other, mm-hmm. you know, they they they, uh, they came together. They came together as a group. So your favorite was? Do you think your favorite was the first act of the movie? The first part was to me the most powerful because it was about the people when they're at the camp. When they're at the camp, mm-hmm. Camp Jeanette, they're at the camp where they were isolated. If you're going to isolate people and and uh, then you can control them, but then at the camp, they opened them up. Uh, at the, the camp, they, they were themselves. They could be themselves. And and some of them was hard for them to understand until after they were there for a while. Like, I can have an opinion. Mm-hmm. People will listen to me. You know, like the sons of Sequoia say, keep on talking and listen more than you talk. I want to add to that. Listen to everybody. Everybody has something to say. And that's what that it kept Jeanette. That's what happened. They listened. They listened to you. They listened to you. Uh, Denise said something which was very interesting. Uh, one of the campers, and she had CP. Uh, what was her name? Denise Jacobson. Yes. She was. She was funny. She was very. There, that's her right there. Yeah, that's her, Denise mm-hmm. uh, Jacobson. She was. She was smart, intelligent, uh, and she said, "There's a." I can't remember exactly how she said it, but there's a hierarchy of disabilities. At the top, there's polio, and at the bottom, there's CP, cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. And she had cerebral palsy. And she said, uh, and then her husband, who also had CP, he says, yes. He says, "When when I went home and told my family I'm getting married, they says, I can understand. And he was saying this, and you could understand it. He said, my, parent, my, my family said, I can understand why you would want to marry a handicapped girl, but why don't you pick a polio? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even, even the families see that hierarchy. Yeah. But when you're in it, you don't. Why would, why would he, what was his name? I forget. Uh, Neil. Why would Neil marry Denise? Because they loved each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean people who are handicapped with CP actually have a mo? That's Neil right there. He was hilarious. He was great. They're funny. They belong together. I mean, yeah. they they were like this, you know. And uh, oh, you mean people who have cerebral palsy actually have emotion? They can love. They're intelligent. They can get a degree. Oh, wow. How about that? Uh, That's really on you. Another thing they said is that uh, at the very beginning of that, I began to, this is what got my attention at the beginning. They said, uh, well, you know, when you have disability, you have a problem. And they says, we don't have a problem. The problem is the people who don't have disabilities to understand us. Mm -hmm. There's where the problem lies. And I think and that was impactful. It is impactful because I think that's true. Sort of equating the fight for the Americans with Disabilities Act, sort of equal treatment of the disabled. It's true in a lot of civil rights. Um, the problem isn't that, you know, when a cop kills a black person, you're allowed to protest, but you have to protest by the rules of the people that just killed the black person. And if you break their rules, we're going to tear gas you and beat you. 
and then we're going to blame the violence on you. And that's not really a problem of, that's a problem of communication, I think. I mean, well, obviously it's a problem of police brutality as well, but um, I mean, it still happens today where it's like, well, these people, they're tearing up the target. Is this what they think is going to get them what they want? Like, no, they're angry. They're angry that they're being indiscriminately killed in the streets. They're angry that someone's kneeling on their neck for 10 minutes, um, staring at the camera as they watch the life, you know, flow out of the person's eyes. And then they think they're going to get off. I mean, surprisingly enough, he didn't get off, but maybe that's... And when the guy didn't get off for killing the man in cold blood on video in Minneapolis, in the streets, they were cheering. And they weren't cheering because they were glad that he got convicted of murder, which was filmed in cold blood. They, they were cheering because they thought he was going to be innocent because he was a police officer. And I think that a lot of the... The issue is communication. Um, I don't know. I, I think that I sort of went on a soapbox here that's not really related to the movie. But that's, that's, no, a, that's a recent current event that sort of sticks in your mind about the fight for, for equality and justice. It's, it's related. Everything's related, David. No, that was good. That's good. I understand what you mean, and, and you're right. It's good. Well, again, one of the scenes that I really liked that that stood out that kind of brought start bringing everything together is that Jeanette, they would get in groups and they would go around and let everybody talk, let everybody talk. And so they they opened it up. Actually, we probably could see the scene, but let me just say it to, to keep moving. Uh, they opened up and says, let's talk about our parents. And they said, and these are all people who had all different types of disabilities uh, or handicaps, as they say, whatever you want to call them. And so this one lady, she said, this one young girl said, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm going to talk about her in just a second. Okay. But not yet. This one lady, this one young girl said, yeah, uh, I love my mom. I love my parents, but sometimes I hate them because they don't let me be me. They're too protective. They don't let me take a chance. They don't let me do things sometimes. And so it's, yeah, yeah, that's true. They, they don't. Uh, they're overprotective. They don't let us get out there and try something on our own. Uh, they, they're, they're too protective. And I understand why, uh, and I, I, I love them for it, but also they need to let us be ourselves. And, and this one guy said, this other uh, camper said, uh, I think that it's more out of fear that, that they're afraid that of, of our disability, that people will make fun of us or uh, it's more out of fear. And then that's when Steven spoke up and he started. The way Steven did it was interesting. He, he had CP, so he couldn't speak well, but he had something to say. And so how can you get their attention he started, he started banging his head on the table. <laughs> and everyone looked at him. And he says, how do you say it? He said, uh, I'm, I'm offended by that comment. He said, it, it's not, that's not, the, that's not it. And then, that's Stephen. He says, I'm offended by that comment. But then Nancy started talking. And when Nancy... And Nancy had Start. severe CP. Her communication, her ability, her ability to communicate was very limited by her disability. Now, we're extremely limited. Yes. Now, like the the lights were on, it's just the communication aspect was what was hampered. You know, she was clearly a bright individual, but yep. because of her disability, talking and understanding what she was saying was extremely hard. Right. That's. That's one of the tragedy. Right. A lot of times, it's one of the tragedies of CP. They'll be extremely smart individuals. But uh, an outsider will hear them talk and be like, oh, this person's mentally disabled. And it's like, no, they just have difficulty communicating, but right. the, the mental processes are spot on. And that's sort of, that's got to be tough. So Nancy started talking. Nancy started talking. And the person with the microphone stuck the microphone in front of her, front of her uh, face, in front of her mouth. And so she has, she has her head turned to the right, right? Mm -hmm. And then she she saw the microphone. She looked at the man, looked back down at the microphone, and then and then 
and then smiled and laughed, you know, like they're going to actually listen to me. And then she started talking and I couldn't understand anything she said. No. Uh, the person with the microphone couldn't understand anything she said. But I want to emphasize that he didn't pull that microphone away from her mouth. He let her say her full speech, everything she wanted to say, she said everything. And then finally she ended, and then she looked back at him. And then he said, did anyone get any of that? Did anyone understand that? And then Stephen spoke up. I had to write it down. Can I read it, David? Yeah, of course. Stephen, Stephen had CP, but you could understand him pretty well. He said, very slowly, very deliberately, I think Nancy is talking about what everybody wants to be alone sometimes in their life. Like to think alone and to be alone. And I think Nancy is saying that. She's been denied the right of privacy. And then he said, is that he looked at her and she goes, and you can understand that she goes, that's true. And then Stephen said, I think that's one of the major rights. And that was at the beginning. And I thought, wow, Jeanette is opening up this human potential. It was very impactful. Mm -hmm. And I and think it, and it didn't win. No, it didn't win. But I mean, awards for movies are stupid. I think we covered this on Friday. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, should we see before we move on? That was impactful. And it's sort of, you know, uh, I, I well, keep forgetting. David, let me just say it was impactful on a lot of different levels. What she said. Yes. But he would let her speak. Yes. We don't let them speak. He let her speak. Mm -hmm. Another level is that we didn't understand her. But someone else did. And then he says, is that, and then he says, is that right? And she agreed. And so to thee, that to me, that's the big lesson. The big lesson is not what she said. The big lesson is that even though we don't understand it, someone else can. And we have to listen and we need each other to understand each other. Mm -hmm. No one person is going to understand everything. We need each other. On many, many levels, that scene was was impactful to me. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, uh, so Judy was in the same grade as Nancy in public school in New York. So they knew each other forever. And Judy was a polio, not a CP. Mm -hmm. And she was sort of the leader. But she said, and I think I mentioned this already, when they put us in this school and they put everyone that was disabled in the same class, it was clear we were being sidelined. So it was important to me that everyone have a voice. That's why they let Nancy talk till she was done talking. Because she deserves to have a voice like everyone else. And even if no one at that table could understand her. And I think that Steve, I, I felt like he was paraphrasing and also uh -huh. projecting a bit. I'm not certain that he actually understood what Nancy was saying. But the, the right to privacy was on his mind. So I thought of that. I thought of that, David. How could anyone understand her? Mm -hmm. And I, th I think... I think he did understand for a number of reasons. One, he felt the same way. Two, uh, he is used to hearing that type of CP talk. You know, we don't have an ear for Chinese. Mm -hmm. But if you hear Chinese from birth, you can pick things up. We can hear other languages, but if you hear them a lot, you can pick things up. So he, I'm sure he didn't understand everything. That's why he said, is that true? But he understood a lot of what she was saying or trying to say. He felt the same way and the way she said it. So, yes, I think he did understand a lot of it. I think you're right. He didn't understand all of it. But the point is that the, the, the understanding, the desire to understand was there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they... She had her chance to speak, and the people all listened to her. 
It's not like, yeah, the people all didn't understand her. Perhaps no one totally understood her, but they all listened to her. And that's what was important. So Nancy, and uh, Judy was saying, you know, I went to school with Nancy Rosenblum, and it was clear to me that they were putting us on the sidelines. They were locking mm-hmm. us away, and they weren't listening to us. We were a problem that they sort of locked away in a corner. At Jeanette, we weren't going to be sidelined. Everyone was going to get their chance to have their say. Everyone was going to get their chance to have their voice heard, and she was responsible for that. And the pot-smoking, cigarette-smoking uh, camp director, Larry Allison, he's not in the movie too much, but he does say, yeah, uh, Judy, she's a pain in my ass, but we need people like her. <laughs> That's one of the things he says, because, yeah, she she is always advocating for doing the right thing, and it would be easier to not do the right thing, and Larry sees that, and he's like, but she's right. I mean, (laughs) sometimes the right thing is not the easy thing. And Larry points that out. Yeah, she's a pain in my ass, but we need people like her. Because if there's not people like her to advocate for what's right, the regression to the mean will be doing what's easy. And of course, Jeanette would never be Willowbrook, but it would be less magical. Because there isn't someone advocating for everyone to have their say and everyone, you know. And so I thought that was kind of uh, illuminating. It was. And just like Stephen said, if if you're disabled and passive, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's right. So you got to speak up for yourself. And the funny thing is, you know, Larry saying, yeah, she's a pain in the ass, but we need people like her. It's because he was he wanted deep down for Jeanette to be the type of place that it was. And she right. was there to hold his feet to the fire to make sure that they did everything they needed to do. Well, fast forward 10 years when she's fighting for disabled rights, she's holding the feet of the secretary of the interior or whatever, health and human services uh, to the fire to pass section 305. And then I also thought it was interesting, Nancy, uh, not Nancy, uh, Judy, she's giving a speech after she got her big win and she's saying, I'm not happy because I didn't, you know, fight my whole life so that in federal buildings, there's handrails on the, the stalls. So there's ramps in federal buildings. Like, we're still not equal. You know, one victory doesn't mean it's a battle. It's a victory in a battle, not a war, is basically what she's saying. And so she kept fighting, and she got the Americans with Disabilities Act passed. Um, right. Now, I those are very important. Uh, now, 77, and then when did the ADA pass? Let me check. Well, she said it was passed, but it wasn't enforced. No, no, so no. She didn't. She the didn't ADA quit. is completely different. Okay. The ADA oh, okay. got passed Go in 1990 under H.W. Bush. Okay. So the Section 305 was in federal buildings. They had to make accommodations for the disabled. Well, that didn't do anything to to private buildings. Now, everywhere That's you right. go, there's a wheelchair ramp. You know, every curb, every street corner, there's a, a wheelchair to get up on the curb. Um, that's because of the ADA from the 1990s. Um, so she kept fighting and she eventually got that passed. Now, she was looking for Section 305 of some other bill, which required um, accommodations for the disabled in federal buildings. And she's like, that's not what I fought my whole life for. So they showed her in the 80s and she's like, yeah, we won this victory in 77, but we can't stop there. Like, yeah, sure, there's handicapped stalls in federal buildings, but that can't be our legacy. We got to keep fighting. And I think that's, uh, you know, you win a big victory and it's like, there is a letdown because it's like, no one thought this was possible. And yet the state of play is inequitable. There's more we can do. So it's like, wow, we fought so hard and now we need to keep fighting. That's, that's the reward for fighting so hard is that you have to keep fighting. It's kind of like, I think it's kind of true for everything in that type of a fight is that when you win a battle, uh, the whole force is the battle is part of the bigger picture. And uh, you just keep fighting for the big picture, you know, and uh, and as we said at the beginning, Judy was a was a was a power was a power force. Mm -hmm. She wouldn't she wouldn't give up. And so there was this this documentary to me, again, had so many levels, so many dimensions to it. One was just 
opening human potential. The other is the political part. The other is the camping part. The other is the international part. The I mean, the social part and uh, the society. And uh, and well, what really revealed what did a really good job. The first part of it revealing that uh, these are people with emotions, intelligent. They are every every place that Judy went. Uh, it's like I always saw Nancy there. <laughs> mm-hmm. She was always right there with her, mm-hmm. you know, because they were they were friends. Yeah. And uh, and then they went to California to Berkeley, and they went as that movement, and then they just they just wouldn't give up. They and just I, kept going. I think that they were benefited from being in Berkeley uh, because those congressmen that brought in the field office guy from the health and welfare department. That's when Nancy says, I appreciate you not shaking your head at me when you, I don't think you have any idea what I'm talking about. That was one of Nixon's guys. Well, the congressmen that set that up that were sympathetic to the cause, they were Berkeley congressmen, you know? Yeah. So if you would have done that in rural Oklahoma, you wouldn't have found too many congressmen that were uh, receptive to your, that's true. But again, Judy would call him out. And mm-hmm. she was saying, and he was going nodding, he says, and I would appreciate you wouldn't nod your head because you don't, why would you say you don't really? Well, I don't think you have any idea what I'm talking about. No, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. You're just, you're just, you're just being uh, patronizing, condescending. Yes. So and they were. They were. I think you're right. I think the best thing, I, and I think this is why it was a good documentary but i agree with you the first act camp Jeanette, that's my favorite part because it's like these people are sidelined but what if they weren't sidelined what if you empowered them what would happen and that was awesome because you got to see them feeling empowered in real time with our archival footage and then with further archival footage you say you, they took that empowerment sort of the spark that was lit at the camp and they used it to make real change in the world and then the third act is they grew old and they had rich and satisfying lives and so I do like the way the story was told, I think, was very was very satisfying. Like the one I can't remember who it was who uh, who got married and had a son. And he says, yeah, my son, he doesn't see me as handicapped. That was Neil. You know, he, that was that Neil. Yeah, it was Neil. And he had a son with Denise. And the son was was not disabled. Yeah. Denise and Neil had a son. OK. And. He saw them playing together. Of course, of course, I guess Neil was younger. I didn't remember. That, that, was, in the, uh, that was in the trailer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wait, you want me to tell him what happened? But anyway, that, it's just, it was fascinating that uh, his son didn't, didn't see that at all. That, that was uh, There's Jim's his son girlfriend. playing with him. Right here. There's his son rolling yeah. him in the wheelchair. Yep, that's him. Yep. That's, that's the little clip of them from the trailer. Yeah. And he says, yeah, we have fun together. I'm his dad. He's my son. And he doesn't see me as disabled. It's just, it's just who it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was so many dimensions to this to this documentary that uh, that reveals so much stuff. Yeah, it was a great story. And I know that you're upset that it didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we look before we go? Well, I, yeah, I kind of... I wouldn't say upset because uh, the Academy votes on this stuff and they're going to vote on whatever it just shows where their head is, uh-huh. you know, and uh, but I like it not so much for the academic perspective or the I mean, the Academy of the Oscar. I don't know what criteria they use to vote these things in, but I liked it because of the impact, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not in the Academy. I'm not in that area. But I'm just saying the impact on this documentary uh, was a story that needed to be told. Uh, and it's not over. It's still not over. It still has to be it still has to be told. Well, I liked it because I think I've mentioned this multiple times now, but it was very much a traditional documentary. And I think that might be why it lost. They went back and they got archival footage. They got photographs. They did, you know, talking head segments of all the people that were still alive. And they wove past and present 
and they told this incredible story, but that's the way that documentaries have traditionally been done. You know, you don't usually have one single guy say, I'm going to take a camera and go swimming for three months. It's like, oh, that one wins. <laughs> it's just the guy with the camera going swimming. Well, my, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, my, my shout out to, I was looking here, the, the written and co-produced by Nicole uh, Newham, Newham and James Lebrecht. He was in it. Uh, my shout out to them. I say, hey, uh, awards come and go. But a documentary of this kind will last forever, and it's going to change things. Uh, the uh, the uh, octopus, my octopus teacher was very good. Mm -hmm. It was entertaining, but it's not going to have near the impact uh, that the Crip Camp has had or will have in the future. Yeah, And also documentaries like this. Actually, I want to broaden that to documentaries. I think documentaries like this should be done more. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe that's why uh, uh, Michelle and Barack Obama were the producers of this, because they saw the value in this, too. This is so valuable and so many things that need to be said. And and it's never investing in the power of human potential uh, will never get old, uh, will never go away. You sh that, that That's going to happen in the past, today and in the future. That investment... Uh, is uh, well is always worth it, mm -hmm. no matter what it costs. Invest in the in the power of human potential. And I humanity. mean, the ADA and Section three hundred five they were real substantive change that affected the lives of hundreds of thousands, if not millions. You know, everyone in this uh, nation that's disabled benefited from the ADA. Um, right. And I guess what the what I liked about it is that this camp, some of the leaders who pushed for these changes, Section 305 and the ADA, came from this camp. And so a large oak can grow from a small acorn. The small acorn is you set aside 20 acres in upstate New York and you allow handicapped kids to come and be themselves. And for the first time, they realize we have agency, we have power. And we can be ourselves and we can speak our minds and we can change the world. And then they do it and hundreds of thousands of people benefit from that. So I, that's what I liked about, of course, it's not all because there was a camp. But the camp, had, part of it. The camp was part of it. It's part of it. And so... And they said that. They said it's part of it. Well said, David. That's well said. So before we go today, uh, I think it should have won too. I'm... I'm team Crip Camp should have won the Oscar. But shall we look at the IMDb poll of IMDb users and what they think should have won best documentary? Okay. Here we go. So we're going to vote for Crip Camp, okay? Absolutely. And maybe we'll talk about the mole agent tomorrow because we also Mole agent, I think I, I would, that would be my second. I thought that was excellent. Shall we see what the poll results are? Results are. Yeah, are you going to vote? Vote. Wow, it's third. Interesting. Why do people like my octopus teacher so much? I think that it was educational. I don't, I think that the uh, what I liked about it is I didn't know octopus was that personal, that intelligent, you know. And so, yeah, they are. And so it was something we didn't know. I think you know? It, it looked I, pretty. <laughs> That's I, true, too. That has a lot to do with it. Yeah, And the guy's voice was very monotone and calming. The music was very chill. It's sort of meditative. And it's like, oh, that was relaxing. I liked that. But it, I didn't think that it stirred up anything in me, except for maybe, like, that was chill, you know? Well, like you've said, David, where you stand depends on where you sit. And if you're a movie person? If you're a movie person, oh, that's beautiful. Look at that cinematography. You know, all those dis disabled people. Yeah, but this cinematography is much better than a movie. Uh, where I sit is I, I people. Mm -hmm. I think people are more important than an octopus. Yeah. Look at how poorly, look at how poorly this archival news footage is framed. It's framed so much better in my octopus teacher. <laughs> it's like, no, like that's not what you're judging on. 
Yeah, yeah. To me, where I sit is is uh, I, I I teach people and and people I see them turn around. Some of them don't. Some of them do, uh, and they're better. And I, I just I just challenge them to look inside themselves and and pull out their potential because it's there. I don't give them anything except say, look at yourself. Mm-hmm. Look what you can do. And I think that's exactly what uh, CripCap is about. Yeah. The the power of people, the power of human potential coming together, and coming together. We need each other. We need everybody. Even small everybody. things that you do, you don't know how it's going to change the world. That's very, very true, David. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said it extremely well. We, we could have ended the episode of like... <laughs> Up there, I say you go in the Catskills, 20 acres, and you have this camp of disabled people that uh, nobody does anything for them except their family. And all of a sudden, they're shunned, uh, they're sidelined. And then you give a place for them to come and talk and listen to each other and understand what they're trying to say. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't, but you never stop trying. Mm-hmm. And what will that do? It'll change the world. It'll change the world. Well, I have the music playing. Shall we conclude this episode? Well, the reason we like Crimp Camp so much, at least I like Crimp Camp so much, is because the Sons of Sequoia says, keep on talking and listen more than you talk. And try to understand what that other person is saying. Bye.